Our epistle lesson this morning is found in Philippians chapter 2, reading verses 1 through 11. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, as we come this morning, we acknowledge all of our own weakness and we profess our need for your help. It is only in your light that we see light. And so we ask that by your spirit, you will speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are continuing in our series through the Psalms discussing the anatomy of the soul. And today we come to Psalm 96. This past spring in the first round of the NCAA basketball tournament, my alma mater, Furman University, pulled off a stunning upset of the number four ranked Virginia Cavaliers. There were 12 seconds left in the game. Furman trailed by four points. It seemed hopeless. They made two free throws, trapped the inbounds pass, threw the ball down court for a a three-point shot as time expired. In those 12 seconds, everything fell into place. It was perfection for Furman Paladin fans. The campus erupted with celebration. Of course, I wasn't even watching the game. It had been 50 years, 50, since they won a game in the NCAA tournament. My son, who was a freshman last year at Furman, sent a video of the pandemonium that erupted in the student center. Unadulterated joy. There were hugs and loud, you could even say liturgical chants as they carried around the mascot through the campus. People were screaming, they did it! Because let's be honest, everybody at Furman was as surprised. (laughs) We won! The 50-year streak is broken. Furman to the second round. What fascinated me really about the whole thing was the ensuing response. Classes were canceled. (laughs) 
school spirit just soared. And students like my son, who probably have never even attended a basketball game, were buying merch and dropping everything to drive to Orlando for round two. They were even researching plane tickets to the Sweet 16, just in case, just in case. (laughs) There was joy, there was sacrificial commitment, and there was just soaring hope at this victory. And friends, this response to the good news of a victory, the excitement we can have over something like college athletics, corresponds to something that we see playing out here in Psalm 96. As the church celebrates the intervention of God, the announcement that God has brought his deliverance of us to us, bringing us out of trouble and distress into safety and security. The ultimate fulfillment that Psalm 96 points to, of course, is the deliverance that God brings in sending his son, Jesus, who comes and he shares in human form, as we read in Philippians 2. And he was humbled and humbled even to the point of death on a cross. But then he was exalted and given the name above every name, that every creature should bow and profess that Jesus is Lord. And so we have this great intervention That God has intervened for us in Jesus, exercising his faithfulness and exerting his power to save. And in Jesus, God does for us not simply what we were unwilling to do. He does for us what we cannot do. He does for us in Jesus what we could not resolve, what we could not accomplish, what we cannot achieve because of our sin. And so Jesus comes and gains the victory. He overcomes all of our resistance to him. He overcomes all of our renunciations of him. He overcomes all of our rebellion against him. This is what God does in Jesus Christ when he sends him into the world to bear the penalty for your sin and for mine. And so the psalm erupts. It's not stoic and stale. It is an eruption. And it demonstrates and leads us in the path of what it means to respond to the gospel, to the good news that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he reigns, that he has conquered sin and death. And as we wait for him, he will come to make all things right. That he rules over the nations and that he intercedes on our behalf today. And so as we come to Psalm 96, we are taught the spiritual dynamics of what it means to be Christian, what it means to experience the intervention of God in grace and mercy, and what that grace and mercy induces. Three things quickly to focus on this morning is that this grace will induce a new song, that it will induce a new declaration, And finally, a new hope. So let's look at each of those briefly. First, the gospel, the grace of God, induces a new song. Verse 1, oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. What we find in this new song is it's not necessarily just a new composition, 
but is it a fresh experience of the grace of God, his deliverance anew of us, his mercies daily attending to us. And the psalmist is responding to the freshness of that mercy. We see this song is filled with praise, blessing God, declaring his glory, and telling of his marvelous works. And it is the rumination upon the marvelous works of God. This is how God makes himself known to us. Because he is invisible and we do not see him. We know God through his works and the record of those works. What he has done for us. This is the God who is toward us and is favorable to us and his son Jesus. It's critical for us to note the contents of this new song. They are not thin and vapid. These contents are rich. They announce the glory of God. They tell of his works of salvation. Verse 2, sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. Additionally, this song dwells on a God who's not fashioned with human hands. We are told in these initial verses that he is not like the idols of the nations who are empty and worthless. No, but he's the creator of heaven and earth, pointing to the one who is not formed in the imagination of the human mind and then forged by the human hand. But no, he is the God who is from beginning to end, the Alpha and the Omega. He is outside time and space. He spoke the world into existence by his own power. An entirely different conception of God than anywhere on offer in the ancient world. He is the powerful God who spoke and brings all things we see into existence. And friends, to this, in response to this, To this God acting on our behalf, bringing salvation, working on our behalf. There's no response that can be stoic and stale. It just can't be indifferent. The grace of God intervenes in our lives and induces this response of boisterous gratitude. And these two dynamics always come with the gospel that there is grace and there is gratitude. This is the lightning and the thunder of the gospel. And these always live together as we are truly and really experiencing God's grace in our lives. And so it's important for us, though, just in all practicality, to ask the question, What do you do when the new song loses its luster? And why does that happen? Because oftentimes in our experience of the Christian life, yes, we know that we are to be filled with gratitude. But yet in all the distractions of life and the burdens that we bear, it sometimes can feel extremely hard. We ask ourselves the question, why do we grow cold in our affections from time to time? This week I had a spare hour in the late afternoon and I was spending time with with my friend John Calvin. (laughs) Studying through his commentary on the Psalms is fascinating, but he connects coldness in praise with two things. He connects it with our disease 
and the remedy of our disease. And what he goes on to explain in this particular psalm is that when we do not feel the depth of our disease, when we're not experiencing the depth of our sickness and sin, this is precisely when we lose sense of the remedy. The remedy will no longer induce us because the remedy is not that precious. And friends, in the Christian life, one of the things critical for us is always to keep an eye upon our sinful condition and the brokenness of the world around us. When we become content with ourselves or we become content with the world, grace will not seem great. Grace will not induce a new song. Grace will not create gratitude when we are content with ourselves or the world as it stands. And that we have to be familiar with the depth of the disease. We have to know our sinfulness and appreciate our brokenness. We have to understand our debt and all the potential weakness that we carry. We have to understand the world and all the tragedy that inhabits it. And then the remedy becomes precious. And this is why we think about a doctrine of sin. This is why we emphasize it. This is why we meditate upon it. It's not to be morose, but rather it is for the grace of God to grow and to thrive. That yes, understanding sin creates fertile soil for the grace of God in your life. And so we never want to distance ourselves from it because it's part of the very reality that induces us to sing this new song. But this is the first response to the grace of God, the new song. Second, we also see that the grace of God induces a new declaration. As we come to the second part of the psalm in verses 7 through 10, we hear that declaration. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the people. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. This is a call to worship. We use it at the head of many of our services. We even did so today. But it's important to recognize something about this call. Is that we've moved from singing to God. And offering gratitude to God. For his deliverance and his salvation that comes into our lives And the doxology here moves from a vertical interaction to a horizontal one. The proclamation of God's marvelous works is not only directed back to heaven, but now the proclamation of those marvelous works takes on a horizontal cast and goes out to the nations. It sounds forth through the nations. The families of the peoples are called to worship God. It's the design of the promise given to Abraham that God blessed Abraham and he blessed him that he would be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. And so the nations are called to assemble. The good news of God's decision in Jesus is to renounce the rebellion of the nations against him, to overturn it, to make the way and path possible back, to be reconciled to him Through Jesus in his death and resurrection, the triumphant, the unfaltering, the victorious grace of God that cancels out your failures and cancels out my own is to be announced to the nations. 
that yes, there is something richly vertical that happens when we are intervened on by God and his grace. But then something horizontal also emerges. That not only do we speak to God in thanksgiving about grace, but we also begin to speak to the world about this grace, commending it to them, lauding and praising God, pointing people to all that could also be theirs in Jesus. And so we speak of evangelism. There is, of course, tremendous cultural difficulty when we discuss evangelism today. Scandal after scandal has rocked the church, reducing the credibility of the message in the minds of many hearers. And oftentimes in engaging with conversations and evangelistic encounters, you will be dismissed because people don't want to take the church seriously. Some Christians have conflated theology and politics, corrupting the spiritual mission of the church, and they've turned the church into political action arms, whether on the right or the left, and many will no longer take it seriously because they see it simply as a form of political activity. Many who claim Christ operate with a sub-biblical gospel. That is, they have so supplemented Jesus with other moralistic lists and tasks, things that you have to do in order to clean yourself up for God, that people want nothing to do with it. And we live in a culture that's not offended by spirituality. It's offended only by necessity and absolutes. And many people find it difficult to get past that phrase, I'm glad that is true for you. And so we hear the command from God to go forth into the families of the nations, declaring that Jesus reigns, declaring that Jesus has won the great victory, that he's been given a name above every name, that he's the Lord of heaven and earth, that he sits at God's right hand. He's reigning over all things today, that he offers to reconcile you to God. He does all of this on our behalf, and we hear the command to announce that to the nations, and we feel the tension because it's hard. Friends, we could add to that list of the difficulties that we experience. But it's critical for us to cut through that and for each of us to recognize that none of those difficulties excuse us. And that each of us, we have to find the way patiently and persuasively to wade through all of that. That that's the context that God calls us into. And in being patient and persuasive, we want to commend Jesus to the world. We want to be like the blind man in John 9. I don't know, but I was blind, and now I see. We want to commend Jesus and all that he's done on our behalf, but this means that there is a living reality inside of us where we've been deeply affected by Christ and what he's done on our behalf. And so we have this vertical response reaching up to God in a new song, in a horizontal reach now, going out into the world, proclaiming the goodness of Jesus. And then finally, we also see that this grace is going to induce us to a new hope. 
The psalm closes in verses 11 through 13. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. And the intervention of God in the first advent of Jesus when he comes to die and to rise and to ascend to God's right hand inspires hope in us for this second advent, for the second appearing of Jesus. And when he returns, yes, the heavens, they will be glad. Yes, the earth, it will rejoice. Yes, the sea will roar and everything that fills it will join in that roar. Yes, the fields and the forest will sing when the Lord comes to judge and to save, establishing equity. Friends, we are told that all creation is on tiptoe, awaiting that day when the sons of God are revealed at the return of Jesus. And the gospel, the grace of God, teaches us to look in anticipation with great hope for what lies ahead. As many of you know, several years ago when the, the pandemic began, my mentor and friend in life, Tim Russell, a pastor in Memphis, Tennessee, passed away, one of the early victims of, of COVID. And talking with the pastor who presided over Tim at his deathbed, asking about their conversation because I didn't have opportunity to speak with him in those, on that declining day. Sorry. I asked him, I said, what, what was the discussion? He said, Tim wanted me to read Psalm 98, which has much of the same language as Psalm 96. And as he read Psalm 98, they came to the verses about the heavens being glad and the earth rejoicing, the sea roaring and everything that fills it, about the Lord coming, who's coming to judge the earth and to establish equity. And as the pastor was reading the psalm, Tim was amplifying it and saying, yes, Lord, bring down righteousness, yes, Lord, let the heavens dance, yes, Lord, let the trees clap. Yes, Lord, establish equity and have mercy, Lord. Have mercy on us. And friends, he's directing us because this God who comes to judge, he is also the one who comes to save. And it is through judgment that salvation comes, that he comes to bring judgment in order to purify and cleanse the world, to remove the pollution of sin, to burn off the dross of all the corruption that we have introduced by our rebellion against him and to have mercy on those who look to Jesus and call upon him for refuge and safety, to be part of this great new creation, free from the scourge of sin. And friends, this is the Christian hope. And if our Christian faith only orients us to the present tense and the comforts that we have in this life, 
then we have ripped ourselves off. You have shorted yourself. You have not looked to the greatness of the inheritance in front of you. And that we have to, in the intervention of God and his grace in our lives, we have to allow that grace to induce us to the future. Where we have all of these great hopes. If you follow the NCAA tournament, you know that Furman's elation was short-lived. The ecstatic hopes for a birth into the Sweet 16 were not to happen. They were destroyed in the second round. San Diego State, who went on to the final game, destroyed them. As one friend said, this was the difference between men and boys. (laughs) But friends, the good news that inspires our song The victory that inspires our new song. The victory that fuels us in a declaration to the nations. The victory that induces a new hope within us for the world to come. It doesn't falter and it doesn't fade. He doesn't lose in the second round. And so let it induce in you that new song. Let it propel you into the nations despite the difficulties. Commend Jesus to others and let it inspire you with a new hope to think of worlds free from sin, free from death, free from evil, war, and corruption, the world made right. This is what it looks like, the spiritual dynamics of being intervened on by God and offering an authentic response to him. Let's ask for his help. Father, we give thanks for grace and mercy that are undeserved. And we know that our Lord Jesus has overcome the world and that his grace will prevail. And we wait, and as we wait, we ask that this grace will create this new song within us day after day, week over week, year after year, as we taste and see that the Lord is good and his mercies are real and true. We pray that you would empower us in this horizontal declaration to the nations, commending Jesus and directing them towards him. And we ask God that you would inspire our hopes, that you'll free us from the burdens of this world, the depths of its rebellion, our participation in it, And liberate us in the great hope that is ours. The day of the heavens dancing and the trees clapping. The fields rejoicing. The day of resurrection. Inspire us with hope. We ask in Jesus' name.